Um, now, we have been going through the Gospel of Luke. We've made it to chapter 8. So I'm going to read to you uh, verses 4 to 21 in Luke 8, one of, one of Jesus' best-known parables. And uh, so it, it may be familiar to some of you. Uh, so let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word together. Luke writes, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from one town after another, he spoke to them in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled on, and the wild birds devoured it. Other seed fell on rock, and when it came up, it withered because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up with it and choked it. But other seed fell on good soil and grew, and it produced a hundred times as much grain. As he said this, he called out, The one who has ears to hear had better listen. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, You have been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that although they see, they may not see. And although they hear, they may not understand. Now, the parable means this. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, fall away. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for the seed that landed on good soil, these are the ones who, after hearing the word, cling to it with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with steadfast endurance. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in can see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be made known and brought to light. So listen carefully, for whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Now, Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not get near him because of the crowd. So he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, um, would you speak to us about your word? Father, we just heard that there are many ways to hear, and so we ask, Lord, having just heard this passage of scripture and getting ready to hear a sermon, would you make each of us, including me, like that fourth soil, 
Would you till the soil, soften it, pull the rocks, pull the weeds, and make us ready to receive your word and to cling to it with honest and good hearts and steadfast endurance that we may bear fruit. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let me just state the obvious here at, at the start. This passage, which uh, really tells this, uh, mo- is mostly this, this well-known and very often preached parable, is Jesus' instruction to his followers about how to hear him. That's what it's about. It's about how to hear, how to hear him well. And, and he helps his listeners identify those things that keep us from hearing him well. And he tells us the benefits of hearing him well. And that all sounds quite straightforward. And you probably wish that my sermons were as to the point as Jesus's sermon right there. I mean, that was wonderful. Um, And yet we complicate it. We complicate it in our own lives. So I'm going to talk about it for a little bit longer. (laughs) Um, Hearing itself is uh, not as straightforward as I wish. You know, here you are, you're listening to me. Some of you are in it. You're right, you're in it. You're on the edge of your seats. Yeah, you're just so excited. Uh, Others of you... Uh, maybe had a tough conversation on the way to church or this morning where, where you know, whoever is in your house with you, you were missing each other and you've got static going on. You know, others of you have stressful things last week or big things coming up this next week that you are still getting ready for and your brains are in other places. So you will be in the room and you will hear the sound waves. They will hit you, but they won't go in. Hearing is a complicated thing. In fact, last week, uh, Jeff and I were, were with Bob. We, we got to go last Sunday and uh, bring the same communion elements that we all uh, enjoyed together, and we brought those, and we had a little time of connection. Bob was, he was, it was like after several uh, months in and out of struggling, he was like his old self. He was telling all these wonderful stories. We were talking about the Lord. We talked about you know, what church last Sunday, all that stuff. And in the midst of it, uh, the conversation went to um, the, the cognitive tests that they give to people uh, to test for dementia and other things like that, right? We were talking about that. And so Jeff was mentioning that, you know, how, this, how these tests works, there, there's other elements of it, but the tester near the beginning of the test will give a list of items, you know, unconnected things, you know, four things, and just here's the list. And then you'll chat for a while about all sorts of other things, and 15 or 20 minutes later, they'll say, hey, what were those four things that I mentioned earlier? And that's part of the test. I would be terrified about that. My gosh, like, I'm supposed to remember these four random things, and then we've been talking about other things. The way my brain works, maybe... Maybe I didn't have a diagnosable condition. I don't know. So anyway, I wonder if I'm not the only one. But that's the deal. Like, we hear things. I mean, how often, you know, we don't have a lot of people here, but we get to meet new people most Sundays, and we get their names. And then you have that terrible moment 20 minutes later where you're like, what on earth was that name? My gosh, how did that happen? That's, that is normal. 
that's okay. And hey, this is a safe place to ask each other your names again if you need to do that. <clears throat> anyway, the question is, how well, Donald, are you usually listening? That's the question. Yes. So, okay, this parable, I'm not sure there's a parable or a passage of scripture that is easier to preach in the Bible. I mean, here's what Jesus does. It is a classic, like, Presbyterian Bible sermon. I mean, it is, here's a catchy story. There's a question. What does it mean? The story has four elements in it. Here's four simple, you know, connections of what it means. Bada bing, bada boom. That's it. That's it's wonderful, and guys like me can get up and expand on those things. And if you've been around church for much of your life, chances are you have heard that sermon, and I hope you have, and I hope you were listening. I hope it got in. I, I, when I consider my own life, this parable is so helpful for me to revisit because there are constantly things that impede my ability to hear. And Jesus gives us some types that help us diagnose why we're not hearing. What's going on? Why am I not hearing? So um, the, the explanation is so neatly packaged. The word is, the seed is this, uh, the word, uh, you know, the first soil is this, the second soil, all the, all the different types of ground. There you go. It's so neatly packaged that I think we don't realize, especially because our Bibles add a heading after that explanation, we don't realize that Jesus continues his explanation of the parable when he starts talking about a lamp on a lampstand and how no one lights it, you know, and then hides it. They light it so it'll light up the room. And so anyone who comes into the room can see. That's part of his explanation of the parable. He's still explaining the parable even when, when you know, he's told there's the crowd wherever he is and, and he's told your, your mom and your brothers are outside. And he's, he uses that little moment to have another teaching moment to explain the parable. Anyone who hears my words and does them, he says, is my mother and my brothers. It's all about hearing. That's what this whole thing is about. And this is a big theme for Jesus already. Just a couple weeks ago, we talked about the sermon uh, on the plain, which is what it's called in Luke, similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And how does he conclude that sermon? He concludes it with this story about anyone who hears his words and does them is like a wise builder who built a house on a foundation. But anyone who hears his words and doesn't do them is like a foolish builder who builds a house without a foundation and the house uh, will be ruined as soon as a store, a storm, not store, a storm comes. Jesus is big on hearing and hearing well. If you hear his words and don't obey, you're not part of his family. You're like a foolish builder. But if you obey, your life will stand on a firm foundation no matter what comes. Jesus isn't out merely spreading new ideas for us to think about. He's inviting us into a new life. He's inviting us into a new way of behavior, a whole new way of interacting with each other. 
And how do we get that life? We hear him well. So this passage is about hearing, and it uses these wonderful images, the sower, the seed, the soil. And, and, and I know this sermon has been preached a million times, but I do want to run through those things because we need to just notice a couple things. Maybe you'll hear something new today. That was a weird and bad pun. <clears throat> so let's talk about the seed and the sower. Um, before we revisit the different ways to hear, I think we need to ask, you know, Jesus just quickly says, yeah, the seed is the word of God, and then he moves on. Um, but what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, the word of God? You know, we just said it a few minutes ago. I, I read the whole scripture, and what did I say? This is the word of the Lord. How do typical evangelicals talk about the Bible? The word of God, right? The word, that's our nickname for it. The word. Are you in the word, brother? You know, when it's something that we like. How we encourage each other. You know, get in, get in the word. And, and all right, so let's name the obvious. Jesus and his followers did not have the same Bible that we have. That, you know, the New Testament is being lived, <laughs> much less being written. At the moment that Jesus is telling the, the parable, um, so when he says the word, he may have scriptures in mind, but it would be the scriptures that he calls the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. That might be what he has in mind. Those scriptures, after all, have been holding the people together for centuries since, since their temple was destroyed and they were scattered. What they have for worship is not a, well, no, I'm sorry, the, yeah, they've come back and rebuilt the temple, but uh, in the midst of that, they established this whole system of synagogues where they would get together and study the scriptures together. That was a new thing from the time the first temple was destroyed to the time the temple was rebuilt. Those scriptures are incredibly important to the life of the Jewish community. If they, if they are faithful to them, in their minds, God will bless them. So maybe that's what they're thinking about. But in those scriptures... The word of God has other meanings, all right? The word of God within those scriptures shows up in powerful ways. The first way that it shows up is at the very beginning in creation. God speaks and something comes to be. The Latin phrase for this is wonderful, creatio per verbum, creation by the word. God said and there was. So maybe they're thinking of God's voice that creates things. The seed is the word of God. After all, a seed is something that bears all sorts of creative power and life in it, right? I mean, maybe they're thinking of that. Maybe they're thinking of Mount Sinai. This is where Moses goes up on the mountain and he's alone with God in the storm and the people are waiting down below and, and God speaks to all of them and they all hear together the Ten Words. We call it the Ten Commandments, but in Hebrew, it's the Ten Words, the Word of God. Maybe they're thinking of God's voice terrifying the people, giving them the Ten Words. Maybe they're thinking of the prophets. You see, anytime a prophet sort of was raised up in the Old Testament, the way we're introduced to them is the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of God came to Isaiah. This is how we are introduced to them. 
After all, Jesus in the middle of this little teaching quotes the prophet Isaiah. So he's thinking of the prophets. And Isaiah had this powerful experience where he has this sort of embodied vision. He's taken up in the presence of God and he's overwhelmed and he, you know, he knows that he could die in the presence of God and, and an angel comes and, and touches his lips with a burning coal and, and then God tells him, I have a message for you to give to the people. Are you willing to do it? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then the next thing God says to Isaiah is, the thing is, you're going to take this message out. People are going to hear, they're not going to understand. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. Like, it's going to feel pretty fruitless for you, Isaiah. Jesus quotes that in the middle of this thing. So, It could be that. It could be God's word through the prophets. Just in the last chapter, what did the people say about Jesus? A great prophet has risen among us. But by the time Luke is writing, if I go forward, the early church has embraced this specific and mysterious understanding of the word of God. The gospel of John was written after Luke, but the gospel of John opens with this meditation on the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He talks about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's the Word in the early church's mindset? The Word is Jesus. The Word is is Christ himself. And and in the early church, before Luke is compiling these stories, Paul has written a letter to the Colossians about Jesus saying that all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is that word from Genesis 1. Jesus is the creative word. So it's likely Luke has that idea in mind as he recounts this story. But if we weave all of that together, to understand the seed, I think that could help us understand the sower a little bit. There are two layers happening here. In one sense, Jesus is the sower. He's like the prophet. He's, he's speaking these words. After all, he says, you need to listen and obey. So he, in, he is clearly thinking, responding to the words coming out of his mouth, is responding to the word of God. By the way, this is another place Jesus is claiming to be God. You know, there, there are, you know, different theories out there from sort of different uh, sects and sort of pseudo-Christian groups who say that Jesus never claims to be God. But here he is doing it right here in this passage. And so his words are about the kingdom, good news to the poor, loving our enemies, showing mercy. And those words are the seed in one sense. In another sense, though, if Jesus is the word, the father is the sower, and he's walking along sowing his son on the earth, on the soil of our hearts. Hearing him is receiving him as king and clinging to him. And, and I don't think it's one or the other. It's not either or. This is a both and situation. Our call is both to hear the word of the Father, which is Jesus himself, and also hear the word of the Son, who is our King, who issues divine decrees for how to live in his kingdom. 
So, okay, that's the seed. Let's talk about the soil. It's really, this is just such a helpful way of understanding hearing, really hearing and paying attention to anything, you guys, but, but in particular, hearing the seed, which is the word of God. There's, I just want to make a few observations. The first three soils, you know, the path, the rocks, and the thorns, those are normal life. Those are just the, the status quo. Those are your and my default. Okay, I, this isn't, I'm not trying to be mean or offend anyone or accuse anyone, but you're those three things, and so am I. That is our normal state of being. Normal soil needs to be worked before it can be productive. It has stones in it. It has weeds in it, you know, plants that are going to inhibit the plant that you want to be there. Normal life, normal soil. You know, there's places that are walked along by the, you know, by feet that, you know, make it so seeds can't get in. This is normal. This is normal life. The first type of soil isn't really soil at all. It's the the tough path. And this is talking about distractions. Someone may be present to hear, but their mind and attention are elsewhere. Um, can we just recognize that Jesus describes distractions as demonic? I mean, that's a little trouble. That's a kind of concerning to me because we are living in the most distracted culture of the most distracted uh, a period of human history. We are more distracted than anyone ever. Every one of you has a magical distraction device in your pocket right now. And it is limitless distraction. You can do wonderful, productive things with it, but mostly you can scroll bottomless feeds, right? And watch funny videos and be stressed about things that are far away and happening next week that you don't actually need to give your attention to yet. All of those things can happen. These are distraction devices. You know why? This, this, is, these are the, this is the biggest business on planet Earth right now, getting your attention. Companies are spending billions of dollars to capture and keep your attention. That's what they're after. And if that's using salacious videos or whatever to do it, they will do it. And Jesus says that distraction, which keeps people from hearing well, is the devil. Like it's the work of demons. The birds that come and take our attention away. All right, that's all I need to say about the path. Um, the second type of soil is seeking the benefits of the good news without the costs. All right, Jesus comes along saying, I have good news to the poor. And people may join in. People be, may be moved by it. But as soon as it gets hard, as soon as persecution arises or whatever, they fall away. They don't understand that embracing the good news of the gospel means embracing a life of sacrifice and suffering as well. Choosing suffering. Jesus is going to talk more about that in chapter 9. The third type of soil is those who are trying to have it both ways. We're trying to pursue Jesus, but we're also trying to pursue, you know, wealth, comfort, pleasure, power, and more. 
things that are that at several different points Jesus says pursuing these things is going in a different direction than pursuing me that's the thorns those things they will choke the message so these are normal life these are the norm you have those things in your life you want comfort without suffering you are distracted by many things you are pursuing many things we get to practice confessing all of that every sunday it's not a question of if you are prone to them it's a question of how they're present in your life and it's it's a good practice to go through and say in in what way is the seed getting snatched up in my life in in what way am i am i avoiding the pain in in what way am i pursuing things that are pulling me away from the kingdom the fourth type of soil is fruitful hearing this there's one situation in which the message takes root and bears fruit that's the rich soil and these hearers do two things they cling to the word with an honest and good heart and they have endurance with it steadfast endurance so when they cling to the word with an honest and good heart that phrase honest and good it's like good and noble i mean jesus is describing some sort of state of our hearts that i'm not sure we can do ourselves so what do we cling to if I'm right about what the seed is, then, then there are two elements of clinging to the word with an honest and good heart. Number one, we cling to the gospel. This week, I, uh, I heard a pastor telling about a, a challenging time in her life when she felt like she just simply didn't love God enough. There was there were some really hard things going on, and she just felt like, ah, oh, I'm cold towards God. And, you know, both in her own spiritual well-being and as her life as a pastor she was concerned about that and so she met with her mentor and said what can I do to love the Lord more and the, her mentor said I think you've got it backwards what you need is a revelation of the Lord's love for you you need to cling to his love for you that's one part of how we cling to the gospel the second part of how we cling to the to the word with an honest and good heart is we cling to the commands of Jesus. Jesus is clear. The wise builders, his true family, are those people who obey his words. What words? Well, the Gospel of Luke has only offered us one set of commands so far. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you, give to those you don't expect to get anything back from. These are Jesus's commands, and this is what we're being invited to obey. We treat people that we don't want to treat well with love. That's hearing his words and doing them. The second thing is we're to bear fruit with steadfast endurance endurance long repeated slogging dogged persistence and i hate this i hate this I, so you know i've over the course of my adult life i've owned two different houses and both of them had little front and backyards and all i wanted 
was to figure out a solution where I could do one thing one time and the yard would look good forever. That's all. Is that too much to ask? That's all I wanted. But friends, even if I was to rip out all of the living things and put just slabs of cement in front and back, the weeds will come up and crack the cement. I mean, there is no avoiding it. You have to work the land again and again and again. And I'm slowly learning to like it sometimes. It doesn't exist, that idea of one time and done. And just like working the land, we must work the seed into our hearts with steadfast endurance. We continually pull the weeds. We forgive again and again. We don't merely love our enemies today, but tomorrow and the next day also. We don't merely forgive once, but every time the memory of the wrong that was done to you surfaces in your mind and heart, you forgive again. That's steadfast endurance. We give again today, even when we gave and it hurt yesterday. Even as I say this, I'm, you know, we, I love the gospel. This could sound moralistic and legalistic. Here are the things that you need to do to be saved. I get that. And the reason that we have that tension in our minds is because we have inherited a distortion. We have distorted hearing, all right? We have been taught that conversion is a one-time experience that sticks no matter what, a magical coupon that never gets lost, never expires, and can be redeemed for eternal life on Judgment Day. Now, I want to be clear. I'm talking about conversion, not salvation. I'm separating out two ideas that we hold together all the time. We think of them as the same thing. Salvation was achieved for you once and for all as Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. He defeated sin and death. And when he rose again, he earned it for all of us. And by his Holy Spirit, he has given it to us. And yet he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have to turn back to that again and again and again. And the way he's describing this is that even all of his listeners right there are in the middle phase where it's not clear whether they are seed on the path or uh, in the rocks or in the thorns or good soil. There's this, there's this trick that we've played on ourselves and, and we've got this weird culture around conversion that's created this strange distorted version of Christianity um, that I think we need to correct. Listen, Jesus explains the parable with this thing about the lamp and he says, you know, you light a room and people come in, they see everything that's inside. You know, I kind of think that's lighting up the interior of our life and exposing things and someone comes in and they see what's inside and what, what's, what's really there. Are the seeds and roots there or not? I mean, after all, those people who thought that they were converted 30 years ago but did nothing, didn't follow Jesus, didn't, didn't even spend any effort trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. They, they spend 30 years thinking that they're okay and even what they have will be taken away. I think that's what Jesus means here and it's, it's like not good news. <laughs> it's pretty troubling to me. 
We have a lot of people who think they have genuine faith because, I don't know, they were baptized as an infant or dedicated or, or raised in a family where their parents just told them they're Christians but never spent any time pursuing Jesus. Or, or maybe others were, went to a, a one-time event and were caught up in this wonderful emotional service and there was this amazing speaker and, and, and the music swelled in just the right way. And so when they said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. And you did. And then nothing changed for the rest of your life. And I'm wondering if we really think that that was a conversion. If we think, well, I uttered a phrase 30 years ago, and so therefore I'm saved. Friends, I, I think that we've distorted Christianity. I'm so grateful for the Protestant Reformation, which says we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. I mean, it's such a gift, not by works, not by anything that we do. That is true. But we forget that salvation is not like a ticket that we receive. It's a relationship. We enter into a relationship with the king to follow him. If you don't do anything Jesus says, do you trust him? Now, I, I will be the first in line as someone who said every day, I'm like, I am really struggling to do what you say. I, like, I failed 20 different ways today to do what you say. But I'm pursuing, I'm trying, and many of you are there. So I don't, I don't want you to leave today thinking, I might not be a Christian, okay? Unless you've never actually sought to follow him and trust him then today's your day, my friends. Today's your day to pursue him. Think of it like this. Imagine a majestic castle. The strange thing about this majestic castle is it has only one entrance. And a messenger is sent out from inside of the castle into the surrounding village to tell people that the, this is the one entrance. This is the only way to get into this castle. And you're invited in. And there could be people who hear and say, that's wonderful. I agree that that is the one way into that castle. I'm going to keep that in mind. Thank you. And there are others who say, let's go. Let's go into the castle. One hears and obeys. The other one may know something to be true, but that knowledge is not saving knowledge. We're not saved by knowledge alone. I mean, the, the book of James says even the demons believe and shudder. Let's look at this one other way. Um, this parable is dripping with imagery from the, from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I mean, the word creates and sustains and recreates. The word is the seed. And, and all throughout Gen in, in the Genesis 1, you have God creating plants and making them fruitful and blessing them and then creating animals and making them fruitful. It's just like what Jesus is talking about here. And when he creates male and man and woman, he says he blesses them and gives them a job. Steward the rest of this stuff so it can be maximally fruitful. He is talking, yes, about physical creation, but also about your heart. Your heart is part of the ground that you are called to steward so that it can be maximally fruitful. Your heart is. That's, that is part of you being 
in the imago Dei, the image of God. You get to do that. You get to search out where it's hard, where the rocks are, where the thorns are. After Adam and Eve disobeyed, all of creation was tainted. And what did God say? He said, because you have eaten this apple, you will have to work the ground by the sweat of your brow and you will battle with the thorns and the thistles. It's the same imagery. Those thorns and thistles distract us. Therefore, our soil needs constant tending in this fallen world. Just like my front backyard. <laughs> you got to keep pulling the weeds. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't mean you've done something terrible that a weed has grown or that a rock is there. That's, that, that's not a sin that it exists. You're invited to do the work to tend to the soil. So how do we practice this? I'm, I'm closing up here. How do we practice this? Well, I want to humbly suggest that this, what you're doing right now, you've gathered here in this place, and this is a baseline. We have come together. We have sung the praises of God. We've uttered a confession together. We've practiced pulling the rocks and the weeds out of our hearts. We had a time of silence where, you know, hopefully you are sorting through in your own heart. Where's the stuff, you know, that this prayer that we just prayed together, where's the stuff in my own heart that I can pull out? And then you've heard the gospel again. New seed is cast on your heart in the assurance of pardon. You get to practice all of that. When we come together, we practice responding to Jesus' commands each week. Do you know we do that every week? We have, a, we have an altar call every week. Jesus commands you, take this and eat, all of you. Drink of this, all of you. When you respond to that, you are teaching your very body to obey his commands. There's one more layer to this parable before we finish. Before and during Jesus' crucifixion, he faced horrific physical and psychological torture. He prayed all night and he faced the strong temptation to avoid the pain. There was distraction being offered to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was being offered a path where the seed couldn't sink in. When he was arrested, when he resisted that, he's arrested. And what did the soldiers do after he's, he, he's convicted? They wove together a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. I mean, the thorns from this parable are there making Jesus bleed out of his head. Oh, friends, he's experiencing that. In, in the middle of that, he's, he's whipped by a Roman whip, which has little rocks attached to the ends of it. I mean, his flesh is literally tilled like soil. But rocks are part of Jesus's crucifixion. Rocks and thorns and distraction. What is our Lord doing for us? He's taking it all. Like a good farmer, he is working the soil in his own flesh on your behalf. Friends, this isn't your work. You just get to cooperate with what he's doing in you. He is the one who prepares the soil through his death, through his resurrection, 
So hear the word of God, hear the seed. The son of God resisted distraction, endured torture, and felt the stab of thorny mockery in your place. Not only does he sow the word to you, he prepares the ground of your heart so that it can bear fruit in your life. Receive it. All of this, hearing this whole thing, what, what, this is grace. You hear the word that's given to you. This is grace. And we're literally going to let the seed of the word in physical form enter our bodies and it will metabolize and bear fruit in your body. I mean, there's so many layers of this. So, let's do it. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you hear what we're doing? We not only receive the seed, but by taking it, we are bearing fruit. We're proclaiming his death until he comes. What a gift he's given us in this meal. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for sowing your son into the world. Thank you, Jesus, for sowing the good word of your commands into our lives. Thank you for offering us the kingdom. Thank you that all we need to do is repent to enter in. We just turn. You've, you've chased us into our dark and distant places. You've come all the way to us. And you're offering us a chance to remove the stones, remove the thorns. Soften the soil. Lord, let us do it now. By your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, I would invite you to come and receive the bread, which is the body of Christ given for you. And dip it in the cup, which is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's sing and worship together as we come.